This is the Quorum Podcast, the podcast for the Center for Ancient Christian Studies. On this episode, my colleague Sean Wilhite and I, Coleman Ford, sat down with Michael Kruger to discuss his book, Christianity at the Crossroads. Dr. Michael Kruger is a professor and president of Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. This book offers an overview of the second century church, including the various religious, social, and theological contexts, and how the second century church responded. Dr. Kruger shared with us his insight on how he believes the various events of the second century ultimately shaped the next centuries of the church. We also discuss how it continues to shape us today. This was a helpful conversation, and we hope you will gain new insights from our time together. We hope you enjoy. Today we are excited to talk to Dr. Michael Kruger. Uh, Dr. Michael J. Kruger is President and Professor of New Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. His recent publications include The Question of Canon and the Early Text of the New Testament, which is co-edited with uh, Charles Hill, Chuck Hill. We've actually interviewed him as well, so if you want to go back and look at that. Um, Yeah, but we are more uh, interested even today to think about uh, a recent book that Dr. Kruger has um, published entitled Christianity at the Crossroads, How the Second Century Shaped the Future of the Church. So, Dr. Kruger, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Uh, Great to be on the show. Great. Well, um, we really want to get to know you first. So we've got your book here. We've we've looked over it. We've uh, we've got some questions about that that we want, yeah, to to dive into. But before that, let's just uh, let's get to know Michael Kruger. So one question I did have to start things off: Did you have a nickname in high school or college? Uh, no, not not really. Uh, no nicknames. No nicknames. Uh, I, w- I was often called by my last name, so okay. just Kruger, but that's not really a nickname. No. It's, it's a sort of a, a shortened, I guess, name rather than the whole name, and so I'd be called either Mike or just Kruger. Okay. So no, like, Freddy Krueger references or anything like that? No? Yeah. Well, people say that all the time, but that's okay. not really a nickname. Yeah, okay. So, okay. Yeah. Well, good. Oh, good. Okay. Well, so no, no official nickname. That's okay. Um, but here's a probably even more important question. Star Wars or Star Trek? Definitely Star Wars. Okay. Um, although I appreciate many things about Star Trek, but yeah, I'm, a, I'm more of on the Star Wars side of that uh, okay. continuum. Okay. Um, so let's get even deeper into that question. Favorite Star Wars movie? Uh, little Doubt. Which one's the best, in my opinion? That's the Empire Strikes Back. Come on, um, yeah, is the best of the entire series. Um, and um, the new ones um, that have just come out with Disney, I think, have been really, really disappointing. Oh, so okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a fan at all of the new ones. Okay. A fan of the original three. The second three were disappointing too in their own right, but in a very different way than the new ones. So I've been yeah. been sort of checked out now because oh, I felt wow. like it's just been a big letdown. But okay. Anyway. Well, I'm glad that we're starting off on such a sad note. Uh, Star Wars <laughs> has failed us. Um, <laughs> well, not the originals. Well, that's true. That's true. Well, let's, let's just go back to those. those no, the originals were great. Yeah. So I'm talking about the Disney remakes here. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Okay. Well, a uh, couple more questions just to kind of help us know uh, Michael Kruger. 
You have a midnight craving. What do you go for? Wow. Uh, I have no idea. Um, okay. Probably uh, whatever's, whatever's available. I don't think I have a go-to. Just look around, see what's in the fridge, and okay. get something to eat. So, okay. Yeah. So no secret stash that, you know, is like do not touch. It's only for, you know. Okay. No no secret one. Okay. No. Okay. No. Well, that's good. I just, just in case we ever showed up at your house, we just want to know what to go for. That's right. Go yeah, for, you'd know where to go, go if I told you. <laughs> um, okay. Well, here's uh, you know, uh, a question that I think is uh, very pertinent. We just want to know as far as, you know, besides a heavily marked up copy of Nestle All in 28, what books are currently on your nightstand? Yeah. So, um, well, variety of things. So I sort of at night read multiple books, kind of ongoing, hop around different kinds of books. Mm -hmm. So um, some historical, some relevant for the field. So right now I'm reading, um, or just finished a book called In the Garden of Beasts by Eric Larson, which is a, a biography of uh, a family in, in Hitler's Germany in World War II, hmm. which is pretty interesting. Um, and then I'm also reading um, a, a more historical book on, on, on the early period called Pagans, actually. Okay. And that's uh, a book by James O'Donnell, which is a, about the sort of the rise of Christianity in the, in the, in the Greco-Roman world. Okay. So it looks like you got a kind of a mix of ancient historical studies and then some more modern things that kind of pique your interest. Sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, those, that, that well, that's what's on there now. Of course, sure. over the long haul, it, 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 there's quite a bit of variety. Great. Okay. Well, that's good to know exactly what you're reading right now, and uh, hopefully that gives us a picture uh, and our listeners a picture of, yeah, uh, of who you are as a person. And then last question, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at this, and then I'll give it over to Sean with some more pressing questions about your, your research and your book. Uh, personally, I want to know, are you a mountain man or a beach man? Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh -huh. um, it is. I, I, that's really hard. I mean, we, in North Carolina, what's great is that we get a lot of both and, um, and I like both very much. I probably would go beach if I had to be forced in okay. one. Okay. Um, and, uh, so love the coast, love fishing, things like that. So the, That'd probably be the place I'd go if I had had to force force pick between the two. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, it, wrong answer, but that's fair. I'm just kidding. Uh, joking aside. Uh, well, Sean, let's uh, let's dive into the book. Why don't you uh, yeah take over from here? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah, so we have we have before us uh, Dr. Kruger's recent book, Christianity, Christianity uh, at the Crossroads. And would just love to kind of hear more about this book at large and kind of how this book came about, why, why this book and why now? And maybe, maybe uh, help us understand the title a little bit more. Uh, it kind of in what ways is Christianity at a crossroads in this century? Yeah, well, the, the, the book, as the subtitle indicates, is, is focused just on the second century. And um, there's multiple reasons for that. Uh, one, one is that a lot of my prior research has been centered on this time period, whether looking at text or canon or issues related to heresy and orthodoxy and the development of early Christianity. So I've already been in the period a lot, and that, that's one of the reasons I wanted to go further into it. Uh, another reason I think it's worth exploring the period is because it's generally neglected in patristic work. That's a general statement, of course. There's exceptions to that here and there, and, uh, and certainly we could talk about some of those. But as a whole, 
the early patristic period is is just uh, not that interested in the second century. You know, you got a lot of people dealing with first century material, no surprise, and then certainly fourth century and even third. There's a lot more to talk about, but right. second gets overlooked, and I think there's there's reasons to sort of fix that. But but uh, the the main reason is is based on the, the title of the book you indicated, Christianity at the Crossroads, is a reference to the sort of critical transitional period that the second century was for the, the yeah. faith. And what I mean by that is it was facing a lot of challenges and obstacles and difficulties in, in which the which the whole thing could have gone one way or the other. And so it was a bit at a crossroads. And, and what was done, what was decided, what was established in the second century really set the tone for the next 2,000 years. Yeah, no, that's great. So would you would you mind just kind of shedding light? What What is it about the second century that causes us to kind of just jump maybe more into the third, fourth century, or even focus in on first century with uh, uh, Jesus tradition, uh, earlier canon stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of it is just the lack of resources. Um, so obviously in the first century, we have a lot of interesting resources that make up the New Testament writings themselves, and there's plenty to talk about there. And then as you head into the third and fourth centuries, we, we have just a lot more material to, to, to look at, uh, historically speaking, in terms of the Christian movement, at least. Um, and it makes for more, more opportunities for historical research. And then you, you might add to that some of the personalities in the later centuries tend to take on more more uh, notoriety and significance. So you're dealing with people like Constantine, or if you're in 5th century, you're in Augustine, or even Origen in the 3rd. But in the 2nd, it's it's a bit of a, a foggier, murkier time. Right. And uh, for that reason, I think people just don't don't typically know what to do with it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, my, my, my inkling would have kind of pushed towards the theological saturation of 3rd and 4th century, where sort of the apostolic fathers, they feel less theologically robust. So I was, I was kind of curious to know, how, did, how does the development of theology play into this? Yeah, I think that's probably a fair way to say it. Um, it's hard to know whether, whether the, 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 the fact that the, the patristic sources in the second century seem less theological is just because we have such a limited sample. And we're just reading people with, you know, talking about particular issues and we're not getting the whole thing, or whether it really was less robust. I think it's a bit of a mix. I mean, I think theology develops over time. And I think, you know, second century is, is a very baby faith where yeah. the, the, the church is sort of trying to walk, if you will, on its own for the first time, hmm. post-apostolic period. And there's going to be some trips and falls. And so, yeah, it's a shakier time. It's not as clear. It's not as full orb, not as full developed. Doesn't mean it, that, that Christian theology wasn't there in, in, its, in its news in its seed form, but yeah. certainly not, you know, Nicaea level right, right, uh, right. type stuff. So yeah, I think that's part of it. And so what if you if you take your average Christian, or even even to some extent your your average scholar, they're 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 going to read second century stuff and not find it fully satisfying. One might say it's not near as sort of uh, comprehensive and in in, in, in particular as, as later centuries. Yeah, that's great. So, so one of the things you mentioned throughout writing the book is that you're you're sort of discovering these similarities between second century church and maybe the Christian expression in the 21st century. What what might we as modern readers glean from these early writers, and what are some of these similarities that we share with them? Yeah, this this is probably what I would say is is maybe a bit of the surprise in the, in the book for me, and it, it wasn't a complete surprise, of course, because I had a fair understanding of the second century already. But, but one of the things I, I 
discovered, if you will, was that the the types of pressures and problems faced by second second century Christians do have a, an echo in our modern time. And by modern time, I just mean really the the, the last few years in in in, in the Western world. Um, uh, in particularly speaking, as someone who lives in in the United States, you know, we've we've enjoyed a country that largely has had a very strong sort of Christian ethos about it for a long time. But in the last five, ten years, particularly, and even in the last 50 years, I want to argue that we're moving into more of a post-Christian world where Christianity is no longer seen as, as sort of the bedrock of the culture, but rather now the, the thing that, that's to be opposed. And so what you have in terms of commonality is that Christians, like in the modern day, like those in the second century, find ourselves in a both intellectual and political place of vulnerability, where we're seen as a threat, we're seen as odd, we're seen as peculiar, we're seen as problematic, and we're seen as something that needs to be stopped. Um, that's very much what the Christians in, in the Greco-Roman world were feeling in the second century, and, and certainly anybody in America now who's a Bible-believing Christian would feel the same. Yeah, no, that's great. Maybe just kind of one more, uh, one more question along, along the lines of your books. So, so we've tried to follow much, much of what you've written. So we have this most recent one, Christianity of Christianity at the Crossroads. Uh, you have two other ones on canon, revisited the, the, the question of canon. Uh, and uh, even reaching further back, you, you did an edited work with, with Chuck Hill on the early text of the New Testament. Uh, mm-hmm. wa- walk us through, maybe just real quickly, how you think about writing a book and how do you research some of these broader topics? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, in terms of how <laughs> books kind of come about, yeah. um, they come about from so many different things. I mean, part of it is just what I'm interested in. Part of it is something that maybe I'd I'd, I'd written a, uh, something on earlier and then wanted to go further into. But I'll, I'll say a quick word about the titles you mentioned, and there's other titles out there too. But uh, you know, Canon Revisited. I think that's one of the titles you mentioned. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Canon Revisited is um, a book that. Is sort of the the first, not my first book, but but the first sort of full lord book on canon, if you will. And the reason the reason for that was more driven by uh, more uh, epistemological questions that I felt like weren't being answered. So all, almost all the prior works on canon I've been reading dealt with the sort of the the when and the how, mm. um, which are fine questions. Sort of like, well, when did it happen and how did it happen? And those those are those are things we want to know, but. That, that those things have been well trodden for years and really was nothing new there. The thing that no one was answering was, was the how we know question. Why, why these books and not others on an ultimate level, not just historical level. I mean, I can explain why historically why one group might have ended up with one book as opposed to another, but I want to know epistemologically, is there any reason I think those are, those are the right ones? So Canon Revisited dealt with that. And then the question of Canon was dealing with a different issue. That was dealing with more historical models of how to analyze the history of canon and why we have a canon at all. Um, and so they're, they're, they're sister volumes, um, and they, they overlap a little bit, but they really have different purposes. Um, and then, of course, my, my book with Chuck, Early Text and Adjustment, is, is really not on canon at all. It's on textual criticism and manuscripts and, and uh, is dealing with sort of the latest uh, developments in that, in that field. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, Coleman, you, 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 you want to have anything to add there? Yeah, well, um, Dr. Kruger, let me just go ahead and say I've, I've personally benefited from all those books that we've previously mentioned and, and am currently benefiting from uh, the newest one, Christianity at the Crossroads, uh, seeing it as I think what you've intended it to be is a, as an introductory text to the second century, including its various 
diverse questions and things like this, and you answer, um, you know, the uh, some of the prevailing notions within, you know, uh, academia when it comes to the second century, and uh, noting again just how complex it was, but how I think ultimately beautiful, right? I think that kind of comes out in the sense of the the identity of Christians in the second century being peculiar and um, outsiders, you know, noting something different yeah, about this. Yeah. I mean, ultimately what they would call a new race of people, as Christians would call themselves, were kind of a new race. Yeah. Um, and so, again, just very helpful. I think it's going to be useful, I think, um, in the classroom and even in discipleship in the church and some other things. Uh, it's going to be, I think, a, a very important text. Um, but just even boiling it down to kind of our conversation here right now. I mean, you have a couple Baptists, <laughs> you have a Presbyterian, um, you know, we have different ecclesiologies, even baptismal theology. Uh, see where you're going with this things. one. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Get ready. Uh, no, but, you know, let's think about this. What does the second century, or how can maybe the second century be a, um, a, a foundational place of discussion for, for us right now and about our similarities and our differences? What, what were some things you would say about that, Dr. Kruger, in regards to that conversation? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's funny. I get asked that question quite a bit in the recent interviews I've been doing. I think people gravitate towards, um, uh, which I believe in my book is is chapter three, which is on sort of ecclesiology and worship more than I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting chapter. It, 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 it's apparently more interesting to people than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of encouraging things to take away from early Christian worship and the ecclesiological issues. One One thing I'll mention is, how incredibly similar worship services were then as they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was struck by how, in essence at least, there's not much that's changed for 2,000 years. I mean, Christians find the time to gather together. It's on Sunday. They, they gather together and they, they, they worship Jesus. Um, they don't just worship God vaguely. They worship Jesus in particular. Um, they sing hymns. They pray. The Word is taught. And then they have... Uh, the, the they, they observe the, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and the and baptism in, in various ways. I mean I know there's some specifics there we can come back to, but as a whole, that not much has changed. I mean, when you when you think about all the variety of styles and, and buildings and you know, this, that and the other, I mean, yeah, there's differences, no mistake about it. But but there's also remarkable similarities over long periods of time, which I think should be encouraging. Um, you know, as far as the particularities between Baptists and Presbyterians um, I think there's a lot of common ground there that early church shows us. Certainly on an ecclesiological issue, Baptists and Presbyterians would, would say there's much more in common with our given church structure than there are with Episcopal structures, which arose later in the church. Um, and so there'd be more common ground there. Um, as far as baptism, which I think was what most people want to talk about, um, I think we don't have a lot in the second century that adjudicates the, the debate, um, which I think is probably, you know, maybe encouraging for people that it doesn't have to be the flashpoint. Uh, you know, it just doesn't. We don't got. We don't have a lot of information in the second century that I think is definitive on one way or the other on that. I will say this though, and I do. I do mention this in the book. One of the things I did note in the second century is there was quite a bit of flexibility on on mode, uh, leaving aside recipient, um, which I know is the bigger issue for people who who's to be baptized. But but then there's the mode question, and it seemed like there was more flexibility in, in amongst churches than one, than one might assume. Now, of course, some may be. In, in, in a place where they want to disagree with that, and that's fine. But I think that's one of the things that stood out to me. That's great. No, I think you're right. I mean, this is uh, an area in which we have a lot of things going on, but not a lot of people riding on, you know, 
the uh, the merits of infant baptism or credo baptism or whatever. This that that wasn't necessarily the question they were asking, uh, as you know there was a yeah, a which actually I think it's tell- yeah it's telling in its own right actually. Yeah, there there wasn't a there wasn't like a big debate going on about recipients. Yeah. Um, there, there was just sort of the, everyone that was just a muted point. I mean, if there was, if there were debates about it, we don't have them. That's right. Well, so. um, I, I do think that uh, chapter three, as you mentioned, worshiping Jesus is, is a helpful chapter in helping just uh, the person in the pew understand the trajectory of uh, church worship that is, for the most part, uninterrupted. Right. I mean, you obviously have deviations in a lot of ways from traditions that um, you know we may or may not agree with, but the basic elements of the church's worship have been present for, um, you know, since the, the beginning of the church. Um, and so that's, that's incredibly helpful. And, and just one more comment that I, I would I'd love to add is just, um, as I mentioned earlier, I really feel like this is a book that I could maybe not hand anybody in my church, but to, to hand to that person that says, Hey, I've, I've read kind of the intro to church history. I feel like the early church is where I want to spend some time what could you recommend? And, and I feel like this would be one of those books I could recommend. Obviously, it also has the, um, the, the grad student or an undergrad student in mind. But I, I mean, whether or not you intended it for this, I, I think I could safely give this to a, a lay leader who's willing to dive into a, uh, some more deeper stuff. Yeah, well, that's, that's good to hear. Actually, that is what I intended. I actually intended to, to, to do both those things, mm-hmm. have a book that you could give to a, you know, capable lay person, but also give to a scholar and have both benefit from it. I tried to keep, of course, people will laugh at this. I tried to keep the footnotes to a, to a significant minimum. Um, some some won't think I accomplished that. I think I did compared to what what you could could do for a monograph like this. And I've left out actually a lot of the scholarly debates behind the scenes. A lot of the things I intentionally left out. I say that in the preface or in the introduction, just because you know, for the purposes of a book like this covering so much ground. And, and, and I know in one sense it doesn't seem like you are, but in a sense you are. Mm-hmm. You just can't belabor every every point with the with the background debates just the, the book would become clunky and and, and grinding so yeah. well, um, i tried to streamline it and intentionally leave some of that out yeah well i think uh, in that regard mission accomplished i'll i'll, I'll declare that the banner is going to drop mission accomplished so um <laughs> uh well hey sean any final things you want to add before we wrap no, up? no yeah so just kind of just kind of two quick things i was gonna i was gonna bring up about chapter three i loved it because that was the chapter that you talked about the didache <laughs> so i had to i had to bring that <laughs> oh up. is that your thing yeah that's so yeah. yeah so re- researching that yeah that's right <laughs> well, but there's uh, so much more i could have done yeah, with that i just didn't have time to get to all the writing no, so, yeah. that's right and uh no this is already a book that so i so i teach it a teach it in the university setting and this is easily a book that would hand uh hand to my students uh, this is probably going to be a go-to book that i'll I'll be mentioning in, in my Gospels course where we cover some of the traditions up in the second century. Uh, and even using this, uh, there, there's a couple, uh, a couple people in the church that are fascinated with the rise of early Christianity and patristics at large and already, given, already giving this book to them. And so it's, it's very much a, a work that is for both church uh, and, and Academy. So that, that's great there. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. So, uh, Dr. Krieger, we just want to kind of close by just giving, uh, just giving a word of thanks. So we, we so appreciate just the work that you're doing, uh, taking the time to talk with us and hope our, our listeners are encouraged by this. 
but just want to uh, uh, just kind of affirm some of the things you're putting out. Continue doing this. So we, we are greatly benefiting from your research or scholarship, uh, even in our own, uh, our own institutional and confessional settings. Well, I appreciate that, guys. Appreciate the kind words, and um, good to good to have a chance just to to dialogue about these things with you all. Well, uh, blessings to you, and uh, look forward right. to maybe talking to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Quorum Podcast, a podcast for the Center for Ancient Christian Studies. You'll find relevant links and resources relating to this episode on our website, www.ancientchristianstudies.com. If you're interested in the work of the Center, or simply fascinated by ancient Christianity, drop us a line by going to our website and filling out our contact form. We would love to hear from you. On our website, you'll also find additional podcast episodes, reviews, articles, as well as our journal. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time.